I, and I said, I fought zombies and I lost. And that's a story that no one can really say, oh yeah, you're joking. You weren't fighting zombies. No, I literally was fighting zombies. You could Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. With me, as always, is Prasanna. How's it going, Prasanna? I am good. Uh, slowly recovering. I think I'm 90% there right now, but... Is, is this post-show exhaustion? Oh, my God, yes. Reinvent. So it's my first reinvent, and I have yeah. to say, it is a little bonkers. It's, a little, it's a little bonkers. It was, uh, what'd they say, 65,000 people? Something crazy like that, yeah. Yeah, but before before we talk about reInvent, let's talk about something more important. You and I both work for Druva, and no. yes, this is not <laughs> no. an official podcast. No. That has to, that wasn't what I was going to say. But oh, you think that you finished today? Uh, yeah, my small project that I finished today, I passed my solar panel inspection my solar system inspection today it's a oh my gosh so now are you completely off the grid and saying no, screw I'm, you man to the government yeah i'm not off the grid it's an on the grid system but i am producing like nine i sized it to to provide 95 percent of my power um good job curtis yeah and it's the it's, mother nature thanks you but, <laughs> well it is funny uh, the system has been live it's been live 24 hours and i the the report sends you how many pounds of CO2 you have saved and how many trees. So in one day, it says I've saved a tree. Um, and it was like 50 pounds of CO2 in a single day, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, no, you know? that's amazing. I, I, although at this point, I, I'm going to call BS because obviously there was a CO2 and tree load to produce these panels. And I don't know, I don't know how long, I don't know what the. Don't, don't think about all don't, that don't, stuff. Don't okay. think about all that it's stuff. It's just, it's just going forward, just going forward. But the. But Otherwise, you might be living in a cabin somewhere, or sorry, in a cave wearing a loincloth. And I don't think any of no, us want we don't, that. No, we don't want that. Um, but the. But the important part is that the giant Ugh. crazy, the giant crazy project is done. That is crazy. awesome. I know that you were sizing this and you did a lot of the work yourself and got the approvals because that can be quite a daunting. Yeah, it was definitely project to take daunting. On. Daunting is definitely right. And I was and I was I was daunted again the other day filling out the SDG&E paperwork, which is you know the power company, and it was like fifteen pages of stuff. Right. Um, most of which was the same as the city of Oceanside paperwork, but there was one where it asked me the pitch and azimuth of my panels. <laughs> I think that's for research purposes. Right. Um, you know, and they can file it away. Like, um, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with it, but they asked me and I, I had to figure out how to calculate the azimuth of my panels. You figure by now things like Google and their Google satellite and everything else would be pretty good at being able to detect. Well, that's these exactly what I did, right? I used some online azimuth calculator, and it said, you know, draw a line from A to B, and and it's like, by the way, the answer to the question was one fifty one. That's my that's the azimuth of my panels, which means essentially it's pointing south. 
Right. <laughs> hundred and sixty would be pointing direct south. I would I I'm guessing based on hundred and eighty. Oh crap. <laughs> I failed geometry. Ah, yeah. But we uh this is wait, wait, we do have to give the disclaimer. Uh, uh Prasanna and I do both work for Druva, but this is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are our own. And did did you have any significant events in your life other than nope. you know hanging out with sixty five thousand of your closest friends? Oh my gosh! So I would have to say at reInvent. So I was taking. So for people who haven't been to reInvent, it is literally all along the strip. So it's not just one hotel. Like the Venetian has like some of the main things, like the expo and the keynotes, but. It's probably seven hotels. Yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood. And their convention centers have varying breakout sessions Mm -hmm. and other things going on. Going between them, you could either walk or they have these Amazon shuttles that take you between. And you get on, you get to meet people. Some of them have really long lines. But I was sitting next to one of the support people. And there are these people who wear yellow shirts like throughout the hotel and the conference guiding you where to go. So you just stop and ask him questions. So I was asking him, oh, how many people are there here from like the support staff perspective? They said 12,000. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. 12,000 support people, including like the drivers, the support people, the wow. people helping out in like the catering and everything else. That's the cops who are locking right, down the right. intersections, like all right. these things. That's a lot. There are like 12,000. So is that in addition to the 65,000 or do you think that's part of it? I think that is part of this. I think it was 60. They were mentioning it was 57,000 okay. attendees and 12,000 wow. staff. Yeah, supported. that's a, that is a, a very unique thing of reInvent that they don't host it. For example, at the Las Vegas convention center, which for the record, my personal opinion is that's where it should be. I mean, if you're going to do it in Vegas and you have 65,000 people, you should put it in a building that can hold 65,000 people. I heard, though, that it was actually booked for some other Whatever. Event. That's. <laughs> I mean, this is Amazon. You can book in and you could book it they at could, a different yeah. time. You, you know, yeah. Sure. Uh, and I was also... I went by the Las Vegas Convention Center multiple times during my stay. I saw nothing going on over there. So I I cry BS. Mm. But um I I my again, this is my opinion for what it's worth. They do it the way they do it because it's cheaper. Um ho- yeah. Well, I, well uh, speaking as a person who has organized events before, it's definitely cheaper to do events at a hotel than it is to do it at a full-fledged convention center. Because a full-fledged convention center, oh, I agree. The only way they make revenue is to rent you the rooms. Hotels, they make revenue in a number of different ways, and so you often get a significant portion of the rooms for free. Uh, you know, with the with the understanding that you pay for catering and all of that sort of stuff. So I think that's why they do it the way they do it. But again, neither of us has inside information. All I'm saying is, I went to a few of those sessions and it took me as much as an hour to get from building to building. And that's not including wait time. Oh yeah. Like I, like I was, if you're in the Venetian at the Sands Expo, which is where the Expo Hall was just to get out to where the buses are, could take you time just where they drop you off to walk to your next session and find where it is can take you time. And it's 
yeah, it, I think they said that I was looking or talking to some people, so this might be anecdotal, but they were saying that if you try to book back-to-back sessions and they were in different hotels and it was less than 45 minutes between sessions, they would not let you book them. Oh, they wouldn't even let you book it. That yeah. that makes perfect sense because 45 minutes, I would say, is a bare minimum to get from A to B. Yeah. And- And I was talking to some attendees and they basically said what they did was they would say, hey, I'm going to this particular convention center or this hotel. Let me just see all the other sessions that I could possibly sit in at the same location rather than trying to bounce back and forth. Right. But I'm not sure if the um, like uh, the booking system made that easy. I don't think you could filter by venue. But anyway, I I, I think it's a huge show and there's a lot of sessions uh, that are of a lot of value to a lot of people. I just wish that it was logistically easier for people that are attending the to show. To get around. Yeah. yeah. And the nice thing, though, about reInvent is you could find a lot of the breakout sessions and other things online. Including yours. Afterwards. You had a breakout session. Yep. So I did, did have a breakout session. What did session. you talk about? I co-presented with AWS, in fact, about how Druva is built on top of AWS and how we've created unique technology built on top of basic AWS services to enable data protection as a service. Yeah, I gave a, I gave a number of the presentations at the booth. Um, it's always interesting to speak, you know, as people are walking by. <laughs> but we had a really <laughs> well-attended well, well booth. I, I've been to a lot of trade shows. There are always moments of calm and quiet. I don't remember any of those moments uh, at reInvent. I remember basically people the whole time. I didn't get a chance to spend a lot of time at our booth just because of other sessions and other meetings, but I remember stopping by it a couple times and every time I went by, there was just a line wrapped around our booth. So let's talk about some of the announcements. Uh, we, we obviously made a few announcements at the show. <clears throat> you know, we talked about our support for backing up S3. We are uh, doing uh, automatic staging of backups to uh, the EBS, specifically uh, EBS snapshots out to cheaper storage. And we announced global policies so that you can, uh, with our Cloud Ranger offering, that you can set a single policy and then apply that policy across multiple accounts, even if it's hundreds of AWS accounts, because that's apparently a pretty common thing for people to have dozens or hundreds of AWS accounts, because there's really no penalty for doing so. AWS had 77 announcements at this show. I don't think- Only 77? Yeah. Yeah, only well, there were a bunch before the show, but there were seventy-seven at the show. Let's talk about one that was a big announcement, that, you know, in our world, and that would be the the GA status of Outposts. Sure. So Outpost was announced last year, uh, pre-launch, right? right? Um, they did talk about AWS wanting to bring compute to customers' data centers so they can deal with low latency applications and other things where they needed the workloads to run locally, and but they wanted the simplicity of Amazon. So AWS offered Outposts, which allowed you to bring their hardware on-premises. They would actually manage it, so customer did not have to worry about troubleshooting and everything else. You just give it power, give it networking. You could use all the Amazon management interfaces that you like and actually deploy EC2 and create EBS volumes on that Outpost instance locally. Right. And and so this, you know, it's GA now and we get to see what it looks like, which 
is essentially, you know, it, it, it comes with a rack and then that rack is either partially or completely filled based on the model that you buy, right? Yep. And they have many different compute instances. I think they have some, if you're looking to run analytics or machine learning, there are other sort of your normal-ish type of compute instances as well. Um, like you mentioned, they have different types of these ins- or different numbers of these instances that 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 you can provision. Right. If you have a, a storage intensive app or a compute intensive app or, you know, an ML intensive app, whatever, they have different models essentially that you can buy. And I think one of the compelling reasons behind Outpost is the fact that I just use my normal AWS management. I need to spin up a new EC2 instance. I just log into AWS, go to the CLI and say, spin up this instance on this um, Does outpost. it basically show up as like a region in the interface? Would it it, sh- it so it's or an it doesn't show up as a region. So your outpost instance needs to be tied to a yeah. So your outpost instance needs to be tied to a region, but it'll show okay. up as a another AZ. So it for shows you up as an AZ that because you can again, launch you know, we we discussed a few shows ago about like the difference between EBS and S3. EBS volumes are HA essentially within an availability zone, but they're not replicated across availability zones. And the same would be true here that the any redundancy that's built into outposts would be within that system. If that outpost goes, you know, if it if somebody shoots it or sets it on fire or floods it, it's you know, it's not an HA thing that's gonna something's gonna take over somewhere else. So Druva tested and validated our solution running on Outpost. So we are one of a handful of partners as part of Outpost's GA announcement. And as part of that, one of the things we did test is, hey, how do I back up my any workloads that are running on Outpost? And so leveraging Cloud Ranger, you can actually take snapshots, have the snapshots show up in Amazon's cloud. So they're protected somewhere else other than your on-premises Outpost. And actually to be able to fail over to it. You know, I read a blog post from somebody I respect a lot, Chris Evans. We've had him on the podcast. And the title, I think the title of the blog post was Outpost is not hybrid computing as we know it. And he went on to define hybrid computing to include the concept of the hardware needs to be something like Dell, right? That 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 if it wasn't that if it wasn't your hardware, then it wasn't hybrid computing. And and even though I, I you know, and I know and respect Chris a lot, I don't think I agree with that assessment. I think that this qualifies as a hybrid compute setup. I agree totally, and I think Chris may have a perspective where, in some cases, that does make sense. But if you think about what Amazon was trying to solve, it was customers who had applications which were latency sensitive that they couldn't run in the public cloud. They wanted to run on premises, which is what hybrid computing is all about. Right. It's not necessarily about who you buy the hardware from. It's about where you get to run the workloads. Yep. And with this approach, you also get the benefit that I can run my or use the same management interfaces. I can easily move my workloads from on-premises to AWS cloud easily and seamlessly without having to worry about this back and forth. Another example you could take is VMware on-premises versus VMware Cloud on AWS. They have discussed, for example, the VMware Cloud on, I was about to say AWS, but I think the proper term is VMware Cloud on Outposts, right? That that would be 
that yeah. that, that so, is part of the plan. I don't know. I don't think it was included in the GA, but it was announced back a year ago that that was part of the plan. Yes, that is correct, Curtis. And I believe also at VMworld, VMware also talked about eventually being on right. Outposts yeah, as well. And again, uh, you know, when I read Chris's blog posts, it they they sort of they saw Outposts differently. They saw it as just a tool, another tool for AWS to get all your data. And I'm like, well, duh. Right. Of course, AWS wants to be able to charge you for all your data. Right. That's that is, you know, the plan of global domination and all that. But uh, but I don't see how it doesn't qualify for the concept of hybrid computing. Yeah, yeah. The hybrid. I mean, I mean, maybe maybe yeah. his point is it's it's different than what we are used. You know, the, the title was it's it's not hybrid computing as we know it. That's exactly what I was thinking is, yeah, maybe it's the aspect because normally when you think hybrid computing, you think on-premises and then you think cloud, but it's usually very different hardware. Maybe you have some type of software layer abstraction. In this case, it's no, we're bringing the hardware on-premises, which is normally what you have in the cloud, and you can run whatever you want anywhere. You could make the claim maybe Azure Stack versus Azure Cloud is even though they call that hybrid, this might be similar-ish. Well, I think it's definitely very similar to Outposts. Uh, and I think we have, again, my opinion, I think we have Azure Stack to thank for AWS Outposts because there was a time when <laughs> Amazon was like, no, we're never going to do that. And then Azure Stack, and then, yeah, I think things can things always can change. always change. So I think that the fact that it's now real, we've now seen it, we've seen pricing for it, I think it's going to be be really interesting to see how people use it, right, going forward. So, and and to see, I, I will say, uh, I'm I'm a great predictor of what technology is going to uh, succeed. In that, I often poo-poo technology, and then it goes off. Right again, okay. I, I continue to say, remember, I'm the guy that said the iPhone was stupid. I also thought that VMware Cloud on AWS was a really weird idea, and that has taken off like gangbusters. Uh, this one, I, I'm just I'm unsure as to how it will do, so it will probably go off like gangbusters as well. Without posts, I really think it's about making that management simple and right. seamless if, to if get the things customer on is less concerned about total cost and ownership of hardware than they are about seamless interface and management and all of that, like you were talking, I think Outpost will win the day. So there was this other yeah. thing called local zones. What, what are those? What AWS also announced was what they call local zones, which is the ability for AWS to bring uh, compute and other services and storage to near where other customers may be residing that need low latency, but it's not necessarily the customer data center. So as you know, opening a right. region is probably very expensive for Amazon. So instead, what they're looking at is, hey, if there are enough customers who have low latency requirement or service needs, we can actually deploy these local zones to help out with those needs uh, rather than having to build a full region. So the first one that they're currently launched is in Los Angeles, which connects actually up to the Oregon um, region, so US West 2. And so a customer now has compute that runs locally in Los Angeles, for instance, I think they were mainly targeting mm -hmm. like video production and media. There might be some media production going on in Los Angeles. Just maybe, some, little. So how is it different than an AZ? AZ typically is part of a region. Okay. Right. But but this is attached to a region. I don't know how everything works, but it may not have the full suite of AWS services. 
it's got to that's got to be it that's got to be it right if it it it's probably like it it's it you know what it is is it's it, it it's it's halfway between outposts and an availability zone right it's yeah. it's it, some it, of the services yep. this is my guess, this is my and your guess as to why this is not called an availability zone this is some some compute and some subset of the services would be my guess but but remember an availability zone is usually within like it's not like it's across the country from each from the other availability zones within the same region right so this is like right in this case the LA region or sorry the LA local zone is actually tied to the Oregon right. region so when you want to manage you're actually going through the Oregon yeah. region but you're selecting the LA local yeah zone. i i guess I want, I'm wondering if local availability zone would be a full proper term, but they chose not to do it. That, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if all of the services are available there or if it's just what you're saying that, you know, you can run your computer here. Or there's another reason for this as well. So another example is in Canada, there's only one region. And so some customers, they actually need the ability to have a disaster recovery site. I have a girlfriend who lives in Canada. Her name is Alberta. She lives in Vancouver. Anyway, some some people will get that joke. <laughs> AWS could potentially set up a local zone instead of needing a full-on region. Now, I'm not saying that they have, right. but that is one of possibility. Right. Again, this is going to be interesting to see how this plays out. What uh, what else did we have? There was an S3 announcement yep. that I think we found that interesting. There was a S3, which was interesting, called S3 Access Points. And what this allowed is to create, if you... Uh, almost virtual buckets that allow you to quickly manage who has access to what part of your bucket. With it's like a VLAN, but with buckets. It's V buckets, <laughs> but that was branded. Somebody branded V buckets. <laughs> and each one, by the way, has a unique hosting. Oh, host name. I heard hosting, and that made no sense. Yes, host we in some name. Crazy way. Because before, I guess what. People had to do is if you wanted multiple people okay. to access a bucket, you only had one policy on the bucket. And now what you could do is you could take your bucket, you can carve out these access points, give it out to your various applications, and each one could potentially have different policies associated with. It. And by the way, there are a ton of other announcements around machine learning, their SageMaker, Data Lake, analytics tools. Lots and lots of announcements. It's amazing to see how much AWS is constantly adding. And it's not even just feature level to S3 or to EBS or anything else like that. But it's full on new services, new stacks, new end to end solutions. It's I have to say I'm quite impressed. Yeah, this is your first time really being able to interact with the team at, at large, right? Like physically. Yeah, anyway. That is correct. And so and you and you spent the majority of your time at the show in meetings with AWS people. Oh yeah. Yep. We were in back to back to back meetings. <laughs> I spent all my time with the influencers. Like we basically had opposite experiences at the show. I had almost no Amazon interfaces and all of my stuff was with the influencers and speaking to people at the booth and all that sort of stuff. But the, and then, and then I had some free time. And so I decided to do some uh, fighting of zombies. Tell the story, tell the story. Wait, tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll close out with this. I ran into Curtis because I usually we see each other at these conferences right. like VMworld. We right. hung out a bunch. I literally probably saw you like three times. Yeah, like for, for, for 30 seconds each time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very, very briefly. And I remember on Thursday, I stopped by and I saw you and 
I saw you had a Band-Aid and I was like, Curtis, what happened? Yeah. And so now here's a story of what actually happened and why you have a Band-Aid on your nose. So in MGM, they have a a full motion virtual reality, like full immersion kind of thing where they have a 2000 square foot space. You put on uh, essentially what looks like armor, but what you technically have is on one side of your body, you have a battery on the other side of your body. You essentially have a laptop but it just it just looks like armor that goes on you and then you in your hands is put what appears to be a full weapon with a pump action shotgun like a physical pump action shotgun and a full trigger and a button in front of the trigger that allows you to change buttons and then of course you put goggles and headphones on and once you are in there you it really feels and you're moving you get a report that shows i traveled half a mile in two games and the you are in it i mean you are 100 mm -hmm. immersed in this thing and so there was this moment that i was up on a rooftop fighting zombies and the game master came on in the headset and said hey rick grimes because of course that's the name i went by which is from the walking dead yeah rick grimes, rick grimes. um mm -hmm. and he said hey rick grimes just so you know that's a bad corner because I was in what I thought was a corner and I was defending the elevator exit from the zombies that were coming out of that. And he's like, just so you know, the zombies could be behind you. I turned around, I saw a bunch of zombies behind me and I leaped, like ran basically full, full oh, no. speed away from the zombies that were approaching me from behind, not realizing uh, although I should have realized because of what was, but I was in it. I was in the zone. Right. And I literally ran directly into a wall face first and knocked my, I didn't knock myself out, but I ended up on the floor. <laughs> right. That's how, that's how hard I hit the, oh. how hard I hit it. And, and then once I stepped back up, they got, they paused the game. So the other people, cause it's a, you can play it with up to eight people. The guy said, you know, hey, are you, you know, are you okay? And I was bleeding like profusely because the the headset had <laughs> gouged out a section of my nose. Now I'm uh -huh. just Googling these images. I would not call that a headset. Yeah. That thing that you wear on your eyes looks like a eight-inch <laughs> tablet strapped in front of your eyes with these giant well, headphones. A, it's a very typical virtual reality setup, right? You have a you have a you have head you have headphones and a and a and a um, a mic, and then you have you know the goggles. The goggles is what really I ran into, right? And it, it gouged yeah. out my nose, and I bled profusely. And it required two band aids and an alcohol wipe, ow, uh, to sort of get myself back together. And then they asked me, "Do you want to go sit down, or do you want to get back in the game?" And I, of course, said, "Get me back in the game, coach." And and I went back in, and we <laughs> killed some more zombies, and then I came back to the booth with. You know, I lived through the rest of that was an evening. And then the next day I was cleaning my face and the band-aids came off. And so I approached the the booth. And when I approached the booth, it was still very raw and maybe even bleeding a little bit. And that's when I came to the booth and they were like, What are you doing? And I'm like, I I and I said I fought zombies and I lost. They're like, Are and you okay, like, Curtis? At least you have a great story. Like, and that's a story that 
no one can really say, oh yeah, you're joking. You weren't fighting zombies. No, I literally was fighting zombies. Third party that does this, by the way, is called Zero Latency. And if you Google Zero Latency Virtual Reality, you'll find a number of places around the world and around uh, the US. There's about, looks like about, I think eight or so. 34. No, in the US. In the US, there's like eight, eight or nine. And one's in Vegas. I know one's in Orlando. One's in Oregon. Uh, They're like totally, you know, not necessarily the usual places. Vegas, I would call a usual place. Orlando's probably a usual place, but they're, they're all over. And I all I have to say, it's one of the coolest things I've ever done. Uh, I ended up playing it four times. It was $50 for 30 minutes, which I considered a bargain based on the experience. You, you It is a physical workout. At the end of that 30 minutes, you are, you know, sweating and you know and you have put in some effort and you have killed a lot of zombies and or robots depending on which game you can also fight each other so if you have a team of eight you can split up into two teams of four or you know whatever and uh fight each other you can do that too but as as like i think you're i think they make you because you can see the the avatars of the other people in the game and so Mm. they make you a robot and then so you fight other robots, but you're actually fighting real people. Uh, oh, I, nice. I, it was a blast. But yes, I currently have a big scab on my nose due to uh, <laughs> this little fun. But anyway, so any other anecdotes for you from? Tell people if you're planning on building something or if you're looking for new technology, take a look at AWS first before you go try to build it yourself, because I bet you they might have something yeah, out there and, for and you. Not just like necessarily like to think of AWS as just a place where you can run VMs of your stuff is definitely the wrong way to look at AWS. You have to look at it as a, as an ecosystem. And I'm sure the same is true of Azure. I just think AWS is farther along in that regard than, than uh, Azure. But, um, you know, it, it's incredible the ecosystem that they've been out. It, of the 77 announcements, of which we only covered, what, three, a lot of them had to do with things like ML and AI and things like that, specific applications having to do with that. So it'll be really interesting to see how that'll finish out this episode of Restore It All. Make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. There was a file, but I deleted it. To pay your backup system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth the space.
run Hoping that just for once it'll be completely done Maybe one day it'll all work out You're sure someone